Slow and Steady, the podcast where you get to follow along as we build products in public. Each week, we'll give you an honest peek into our lives as we share our struggles, our wins, and everything in between. I'm Benedicta, and I'm feeling antsy. And I'm Benedict. Today is July 26th. This is episode number 147, and I'm feeling a little bit tired. But that doesn't matter because we have a great guest today. With us today is Nathan Powell. He's a UIDX designer with a long history of working with SaaS businesses and even launched his own um, and sold his own. He's currently working on a UI UX course for developers as well as a new software product called FeatureFlex. And welcome to the show, Nathan. How are you feeling today? Hey, guys. I'm feeling anxious, nervous, and hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of feelings at once. For reasons we can get into in a bit. But yes, primarily hot, very hot. So you're in the heat wave then? Yeah, I'm just outside Madrid in Spain. And it has been horrendous here for like about the last, it feels like the last year, but I think it's been probably the last two weeks. <laughs> it is just, it is just, yeah, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. I can feel the sweat dripping down my back now. <laughs> At least you can, you can blame the heat. It's not your nervousness making that happen. No, no, no. It's, it's primarily the heat. It's primarily the heat. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Anything else been happening? So, um, oh, I, yeah. No, go ahead. I was just going to say if anything else uh, contributed to the uh, to to your feelings other than the heat wave. Well, the the nerves primarily because uh, this is the first podcast interview I've done in probably let me think da, 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 at least three years, possibly longer. So yeah, I'm a little nervous about coming on. I, I, I'm actually better than I thought I was going to be, but. There are definitely some nerves there. Yeah, coming back to this after such a long break is, uh, is a, uh, yeah, it's a little nerve wracking. Even even if you are really, you know, great to get on with and easy going, and you know, there's always a bit of nerves. <laughs> sure, absolutely. So uh, maybe let's let's backtrack a little bit. So you mentioned that you've been gone for a while, um, and it was because you sold your your. Was it your first product? I'm not entirely sure. Like, but yeah, your previous yeah. project you sold to your co-founder, right? That's right. Yeah, my first is my first SaaS, not my first product, but my first SaaS and the first, the first product that had any real success, shall we say? So, I um, I started messing around with uh, Nusi.com in 2013, which is a a business proposal SaaS for what were then for creative agencies. Um, and it was kind of scratching my own itch at the time, uh, you know, being a designer and freelance designer. I've, I've been freelance for like 15 years out of my 17-year career. So, you know, that whole thing about trying to win new business. Um, back in 2013, there weren't that many options. Obviously, Ruben's bid sketch was was probably still king back then, even though he'd been around for a long time. Uh, but there weren't many options, so I decided, you know, I want to try and build something, you know, I want to try and get into the software. And also this is a pain in my ass. I, don't, I can't find anything that's really good for me. So, uh, yeah, so I started putting together Nusi and then I quickly realized that me not being a technical kind of guy really needed to <laughs> bring a technical <laughs> co-founder on board. Otherwise, it was going to end up costing me a fortune. Uh, and fortunately, I found I found Michael, who you know, Benedict. Uh, um, yeah, and we kind of... From 2014 to 2019, we we built and grew this SaaS. It became our sole our sole income, our sole business, our sole our sole passion. Um, 
And then in 2019, I decided I'd had enough. <laughs> um, I'd had enough of, of Nusi. I mean, it started, I think, as most products do for most people as, you know, just a complete passion, you know, working weekends. And when Monday came rolling around, it was depressing because like, oh, no, I have to get back to real work and all that kind of thing. Um, but I think over the over the over time, obviously, uh, passions usually tend to dip. Uh, and I was thinking about other things, uh, you know, you, you change over a period of time. And I thought, okay, it's maybe it's time for me to get out. And Michael, fortunately, wanted to take my half of the business uh, and take it over. So it was kind of, this is a good way to go. This is a good way to, to get out. And Michael and I still speak every single day. So it was uh, completely amicable. Uh, and yeah, I saw that in 2019 and I did something quite foolish. I thought, I almost thought like I was just leaving that world behind. Um, and I have done this in many other areas of my life, but I thought I'm just going to make a clean break of it and I'm going to disappear from the internet. <laughs> and I just deleted everything. I deleted my social media accounts. I deleted, I think, LinkedIn. I deleted, the only thing I kept was Gmail my Gmail account. And I thought I'm going to go and live like a hermit for a couple of years and enjoy the mountains. I'm into mountain biking, you know, I'm going to go and ride and all this stuff. And of course, while that sound is idyllic and, and probably stupid to the listeners now, when that moment comes, when you have to come back, it makes everything really hard, really hard. So what, what happened that you decided to come back? Like it, just spending your days mountain biking sounds kind of great. Um, yeah, it, and, it, and I would carry on like that until the end of time if I hadn't come to the realization that I need to start building another business again. You know, money doesn't last forever. Um, and before this money runs out, I need to have another business in place. And yeah, I mean, that was basically why I came back. I'd kind of, I was still doing a bit of consulting every now and again, you know, as, as you do. But I knew that for something to be in place before uh, I give myself a deadline of, of sort of early mid next year, 2023. Um, and we all know how long SaaS take to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to get to anywhere near, uh, you know, uh, financial viable, viability, then yeah, it needs to be kicking off. And I'd actually come back and I tried a few different things. I tried a few, a couple of different design services and different spaces um and i couldn't get anything off the ground and i i kind of came to this realization that um the services business per se in air quotes and all that stuff isn't really i don't think i'm definitely it's definitely not where i wasn't happiest uh and it wasn't where i shone either so i thought right i gotta get back to software i gotta get back to software uh and and that's kind of really how i came back and i just i need to have some kind of social presence because you can't build in a bubble You know, and those who do usually have a very rude awakening. Um, <laughs> but going back and starting again from scratch is is, is, is terrible because you, you're coming back as a complete newbie. Nobody knows you. And even if you still maintain those connections, and to be honest, I cut off a lot of, you know, I, I really did go dark for a, for a, <laughs> for a few years. So going back and, and trying to build that and, and you know, and, and reaching out to all connections and connecting up and, you know, Back in 2013, when uh, content was king, and that it probably still is to a large extent, you know, so many things have changed as well now with regards to how you might want to build a business. I mean, TikTok and all of that. I mean, that, that didn't even exist when I <laughs> when I was building my business, and you know, it's uh, it's it's changed a lot. I don't want to sound like an old man, but you know, <laughs> we're all old. Changed, they move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But do you think if you'd gotten that kind of life-changing amount of money where you don't have to work another day, do you think you'd still be mountain biking? Um, I think no. I think it would have gotten me. It would have gotten to me in the end as well because there's there's very little security in anything, and especially with what they say is about to happen now. You know, on a global level. Uh, if you do have any savings, you know, inflation and if it's not invested and, and blah, blah, blah. But I think there's also that that need as well to come back to having something that you do feel passionate again about. So it would have come sooner or later, but also having that that final sort of deadline of something needs to happen by here is is a it's enough of a kick up the ass basically to to, to get me going again. Um, but yeah, if, if I had unending money, you know, limitless money, then I would probably be back at some point, but I would probably also be more relaxed about it as well <laughs> and have a team developing out the ideas and researching and marketing and paying for ads and customer interviews and, you know, all these great things that people with money can do as opposed <laughs> right. to doing everything myself. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned you tried a couple of things, uh, services and such, uh, since deciding to to come back and, and do something new. Um, do you have an idea why they didn't work out other than that you, you, you figured that you don't enjoy the services businesses that much? Um, I think in part it was because I was, I was moving in areas that I wasn't, that I don't consider to be my strong point. So I, so I'm a UX designer. Um, I mean, I did do UI years ago, but I'm primarily UX, and that's what I've been focusing on the last few years. Um, and the service areas that I would I was looking at were basically in design, you know. Um, and as it was something that I was trying to get started off myself, I just immediately realized that I wasn't happy doing it. You know, if you get me in a wireframe and set me up with sort of information architecture and, and planning out function and, and set, like the time just disappears for me and I'm happy and I'm comfortable and I, and I know I can do good work. But when you put me back into a graphical element or visual element now of something, I immediately think, this isn't where I should be really. This isn't where I'm comfortable. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy there. And that's where I was trying to build a business essentially. Uh, with the idea of sort of creating a mini agency and getting other designers on board at some point. But, you know, again, kicking the business off myself, having to do everything. And it just wasn't, I think, so basically my heart wasn't really in it because I wasn't really happy doing what I was doing. And then the other part, of course, as always, was marketing, um, you know, speaking to the right people and getting the right people involved. And I think I do suck at marketing. You know, there's no two ways about it. Um I'm, I am talking to a lot of people now, you know, as, I, as I'm developing out my, my new SaaS idea, but I think it's different talking to people than selling to people or trying to sell to people or trying to get people interested in your product or, or to, to pay you money every month, you know, either whether that's for SaaS or for a recurring, recurring design service, which was something that I was trying to do. And there was just, yeah, there was just something about the design element of it that wasn't gelling for me and... I wasn't able to make it work. I mean, there are people who are and the people who have and people who are making lots of money out of it. But uh, yeah, that wasn't, I wasn't, that wasn't me. I wasn't one of them. And so I've decided to come back to, like I said, to, to what I know and what I, where I feel strongest. And that's back to UX and whether that means, you know, the UX course for indie builders and developers or developing my own product again, which is, I mean, that's always fun, right? Regardless of, <laughs> regardless of where it goes, whether it pans out, whether I become a millionaire, that's always fun, at least at the beginning. <laughs> true, true. So you're saying you're focusing on... That's why you 
two things now? Yeah. Yeah. So I've um because when when I when I first started, I said come back as if I came back from the dead or something. I um spoke to to Laura Dunn. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know Laura, um, who does uh, UI courses, design courses for developers. And I was talking to her about it and me obviously focusing on UX. And she said, well, you know, why don't you do what I've done, but focus it on UX, you know? Um, There are so many, and as well through personal experience, so much of the work I do in consulting is is trying to help out with um, UX debt or technical debt, because many of the products I work on were created by the development team. There were no, there was very little to no sort of design input, should we say. When I say design this instance, I'm talking about UX, you know, so there are so many SaaS out there, early SaaS, and even, you know, even SaaS that are doing millions uh, that were built out by and developed by, purely by the development team, maybe with a product manager, and that was it. So um, I think I thought it would be a good place to try and help, uh, try and get some UX fundamentals uh, across, but taking it in real into real world examples. So it's not all theory and everything is like, let's, Go from the beginning, from when somebody might sign up to your to your SaaS, all the way through the onboarding, through to uh, getting through to those initial features um, and sort of layout and consistency, which is a huge thing as well. With develop, typically, I know you're both developers, so forgive me. Typically, with developer-driven uh, products, there is huge amounts of uh, inconsistency through through pages and, and through uh, interactions and all these kinds of things. So, just trying to bring it into real-world context. Um, so I'm doing that, but off the back of that as well, I'm turning that into a book. So I, I started writing the book a couple of uh, couple of weeks ago, a month ago maybe, um, and it's already running away from me. I think it's going to be a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> At the moment, I think it's up to about thirty chapters or something. But I think oh, it's wow. all going to, but I think it's all going to be very manageable. You know, it's going to be sort of short chapters with, like I said, with practical help and uh, and examples. And then that and, and the product as well, Feature Flux, which I've been, I mean, I started investigating for this. So as UX designer, I work with a lot of product teams, uh, primarily product managers. Uh, and one of the big problems we always find or have always found is that, um, you know, so if I'm a UX designer, I might go away and create some some wireframes, uh, come back to the product team. Product manager might take those wireframes then and put them into a presentation with his notes and then either show that to uh, stakeholders, whether it was external or internal, internal, and then based on that feedback, that will go back to the UX designer, updates, and it goes round and round, and it's it can get very messy. I know there are two different ways of of working on this. You know, a lot of smaller SaaS teams just work in Figma. Uh, they share their Figma file with the rest of the team, and they give their feedback, and then they just go round. Uh, you know, in a sort of circle, doing that in that cycle. But then there are other the other side of this, the typically development agencies and larger SaaS who are maybe your enterprise, they are doing a lot of external uh, sharing presentations uh, of product updates and things. And they get, it can get very confusing as to where the product is, which is the latest version I'm working on. You know, is this the last screen? Have you modified this since I left the feedback? So I'm working on something to try and help out with that. Um, it's quite difficult because, believe it or not, it's not a defined. It's not a defined market. So you have your figmas, you have your miros, you have your envisions, but they're very focused on certain areas. You know, so Figma I think is typically an internal tool. Um, Miro is like the ten thousand foot view. Uh, we're going to go in this direction, kind of thing, and 
And then you've got Envision and Figma as well for prototyping. So there's kind of like this small gap, which is kind of scary because this moving into a not very well-defined market makes it really hard. <laughs> like you can speak to people and you can feel the pain and there is pain. And then so many product managers have told me it's like we just get lost all the time. But having to put all of that into 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 copy, into marketing uh, language that can be understood is proven to be a real challenge because so many people are just saying to me, well, why don't you just use Figma? Or why don't you just use, you know, uh, Jiro or whatever? So it, it, there is a problem. I'm just trying at the moment to put that into something that, that makes sense. And uh, I mean, I already have one customer lined up, which is great. But one customer is not a is not a is not a business. So one customer <laughs> does not a business make. <laughs> exactly. So I just have to keep talking and talking and talking to people and, and trying to evolve this problem that exists into something that people can understand. But so is this a um, Git for UX then? Um, possibly, yeah. Kind, kind of, kind of. It's. Um, I mean, you, it's essentially to take the idea from from zero. So, say the product manager comes in and says, "Hey, guys, this is going to be the new, a new a new feature we need to develop." He can actually just you know sketch it out. We're talking napkin sketch or whatever. Uh, the rest of the team can come round, give their feedback on that, um, and then take it from there. So you can take it from the wireframes to the uh, final designs. The idea is that it will actually uh, integrate with tools like Figma and uh, Adobe XD. So your designs, you know, because I don't pretend to change anyone's work habits. That's always a terrible idea. You know, if a UX designer is going to work in Figma, he's going to work in Figma. And if he's going to work in Balsamic, he's going to work in Balsamic. So the idea is that they everyone can continue to work in the tools they're working in. But there will be this one central place where every single screen will have the feedback it needs from each member of the team. And then each update that's made to that, to that screen whether that's a web app or a mobile app or whatever, uh, will be, you know, have its designated place um, so that you can come in and say, hey, this was just updated. This is the most recent version of the design. So therefore, if the developers come in, they know this has been sanctioned or they know this is, you know, had the feedback put in place. And those kinds of things don't work as a lot of people would want them to within things like Figma and Envision. Um, you know, because they are more general design design apps. They are sort of whiteboarding apps, should we say, where there's limitless screen space. Uh, typically, we design software on a screen-by-screen basis, and we explain software internally on a screen-by-screen basis. You know, when you do this, this will happen. When you do this, this will happen. And so this, this software is going to be quite opinionated. It's going to work on a screen-by-screen basis. It's only going to show you one screen at a time, and it's going to be able to go uh, sort of work you through the workflows uh, one screen at a time, feedback per screen, updates per screen, and then, of course, things like versioning and sort of states and draft and development and all that kind of stuff. So, it, yeah, it's kind of scary because it's all – it's so close to what exists, but at the same time, it doesn't exist. So <laughs> it could be a complete disaster. I, I, obviously, I really hope not. <laughs> yeah, that will be a waste of time. Yes. I think it's all so, I yeah, all MVP, ideas can MVP. be a complete disaster. I mean <laughs> that's what yeah, makes this a little bit true. fun too, because you you know, you have that idea and if it if you were sure it wouldn't fail, like a lot of the excitement of it would be would be gone though. Yeah, and I think as well that 
obviously the market is big enough in so many aspects and in so many spaces. <clears throat> the you know there are always going to be teams. I've, sp- I've spoken to so many product managers. I've spoken to so I've done so many polls and and everything. You know, and there's a pretty much an even split between the teams that use the Figma and Miro route and those that hack, hack the system together. You know, with sort of wireframes and PDFs and PowerPoint and Google Slides and all that. I'm going after the second group. You know, the ones that <laughs> hack it all together. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily interested. I don't want to convert the Figma users. You know, they they've got their established system. So. I think there's definitely a space. It just depends whether I can convert that idea into something that people can understand, which is the problem I think most of us face when we're, we're trying to build out a product is that, are oh, people going to get it? Because if they don't get it, it doesn't matter how you know good the product is. If you can't explain it to someone, then uh, it's going to struggle anyway until you can find that fit of language. Um, people can stumble across it and try it out and say, oh, damn, I didn't realize, but that's not generally the case. Is it? And we need to be able to convince people via, at least via the landing page, that this is something that could possibly be interesting to them. And that's the biggest struggle I have right now. <laughs> but do designers yeah. still send around files where it's like, you know, you add on to the file name where it's like final three dot review dash uh, my comments, Benedicta. It's- I suppose, yes, they, they still do, but that's not even the biggest problem. Okay. <laughs> the, um, the, so I spoke, to, I spoke to a developer just last week who was working for a startup last year, uh, and it was actually me trying to sort of, um, what's the word, uh, explain the product to him. And it took me a long time until he got it. And then all of a sudden he said, oh, you mean... And then he went on to explain about he'd worked for the startup last year. He said, <clears throat> I was working with the UI developer who was working in Figma, uh, sorry, in Adobe XD. Then he would export those, those images uh, and he would share them on Discord. And then everyone on the team would come into Discord and leave feedback, give their feedback on those images. Then he would go back into XD and obviously the cycle would repeat. There are so many people working like that. And while it might sound like an absurd way to work, <laughs> it's it, it's a it's a it's I think it's from the research I've done at least obviously smaller numbers I think it works out about a pretty even split between the companies that are hacking it together as in that example and those that are working exclusively within one, within one system so I think that's a large number of people who are updating the file names as in final final v2 <laughs> z you know really is the final uh, and those that are just updating one file those are just updating one file and th- and i think the big problem there is that not the problem the the thing the reason this is happening is because um the majority of product managers aren't don't come from a design background anyway um one of the polls i did came back oh i think i polled 120 120 product managers and over 70% of them did not come from a design background, you know, so they would come from a technical or other area. So what they're doing is they're taking all information and they're literally cutting everything up, putting it into a PowerPoint or into a Google Slides presentation, adding their feedback there and then presenting that to whoever needs to see it. So it's um, to a certain degree, the rest of the product team can't do anything until the product manager changes the way he or she wants to work. And, you know, again, changing how people work is is tricky, but to a certain extent, I, I need to be able to do that. <laughs> so maybe taking a little bit of a step back, um, 
you mentioned uh, you're, you're writing or building a course for indie developers, and I feel like that's perfect description of our audience. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that part. Um, what do you think is the what are the biggest mistakes people make when building their their apps UX wise? Like, is there mm -hmm. anything like what's the you mentioned the, the, the course has 30 or the, the, the book has 30 chapters. What are like the that'll come down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that, that'll come down, and it's and it's gonna be. I want to keep it short and snappy because, like I said, I want each right. each chapter to apply to a particular example. But there are definitely there are definitely areas that you see repeated over and over. Uh, through, through the month of May, I did I did a UX review pretty much every day on 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 Twitter and released those. Um, and and you end up seeing commonalities between. They were all early stage SaaS. I have to, the majority of them were early stage SaaS, and I think again that's typical. We could probably say that's typical that most of those teams, you know, they're indie indie teams, whether that's indie developer, solo, or with a, a designer or something. And right. it basically starts right at the beginning, the sign up. Um, we have, you know, we're told that we need data. We're told that we need to segment. We're told that we need to know where people are coming from so we can write our copy better. And But the thing is, that oftentimes that translates into a sign up form that's like three quarters of the length of the, of the page. Uh, so we want the first name, last name, uh, business name. Uh, maybe we insist on it being a work email rather than a Gmail. Um, you know, there are so many little things that tend to get added to that form. And typically when we're testing out any new piece of software, we're trialing a new piece of software, we just want to get in as quickly as possible. And the more the more friction we create on that is is just, you know, the less likely I'm going to be to to go through with it. Like the only question you really need to ask yourself there is how much of this information do I actually need right now for them to get in to the software and try it out? If we don't need it right now, don't ask for it now, you know, ask for it later. If you need the business name later because it's going to help with their, you know, it's going to be part of the service, it's going to be integrated into uh, templates or something like that, then ask for it later. You know, you really don't need as much information as you do as you think you might do to, to, to be able to log in to trial account and you see that over or I see it over and over and over again just pare it down you know don't worry you can get the the important stuff afterwards you don't need the last name you know you, you don't phone number is another big one as well um I know it depends really whether you intend on doing any kind of salesy thing but uh, most people if they see a phone number on a sign up form automatically bail because you don't want to be speaking to anyone, especially when you're just trying out a new piece of software. It's like, don't ring me. Like, really, don't ring me. I'm not going to answer the phone. Especially if you're a developer. Um, <laughs> like the yeah, I mean, or, or even a UX designer. We're all just, we're all just as, as much as an introvert as the next, you know? Don't call me. Don't, don't. Um, so unless there's a valid business reason, you need to ask for that phone, phone number. And I would argue there isn't on the sign-up form anyway. Don't ask for it. Um, so that's right from the get-go is, is an area where we, we tend to go overboard. And again, I think that's because what we read, you know, we need all this data, we need to know these things, we need to learn, we need to segment. Um, and then the other thing after that is a lot of people, a lot of a lot of SaaS, smaller SaaS and larger SaaS, after the sign-up, they, they choose to go one of two ways. There's either take you straight into the SaaS and then have some kind of onboarding, um, 
or jump straight into an onboarding form workflow before you even are allowed to see the SaaS, if that makes sense. Um, so you might be asked to fill out a couple of pages. Um, again, I think depending on your goals, depending on your market, depending on how much money is behind all of this, your goals are going to be different. But I would suggest that having a sign-up form, then throwing in a few pages of, and this typically are a few pages of, further requests to fill out for indie developers, for indie builders is probably not a good way to go. Again, we want people to get in as quickly as possible. We are so, you know, our attention span is so short when it comes to trying out any new software, any new product. We just want to get in, we want to see if it works, and then we're going to get either hang around or we're just going to disappear. So again, adding up another gate is not a good idea. Um, out of the, I think during the month of May, I think I, I think I reviewed probably about 20, 20, 20 SaaS. And again, like I said, most of them were uh, most of them were early stage SaaS. Most of them kind of indie, and most of them didn't have any kind of onboarding at all. Uh, you were literally dropped into the SaaS, and that was it. Goodbye. Um, it's it doesn't matter how simple you think your SaaS is. You you always live in a space that doesn't exist for anyone else. Like, you know the end result and the end goal for your SaaS. You know what it's supposed to do. You know how you're supposed to get there. And so it's so difficult for you as a, as a, as a builder, as a, as a founder, to understand that anybody else who isn't you doesn't live in that same space, doesn't live with that same knowledge, doesn't live with to get from A to B, I need to do this. So just dropping somebody into the, uh, into the product with nothing, with no help whatsoever. And on many, many occasions, there wasn't even a, there wasn't even a help. There wasn't even a chat widget. There was just like, good luck, <laughs> you know, <laughs> good luck. And, and if you need to contact me, tough. Um, so, you know, the bare minimum is some way of being able to get in touch with a, with, a, with a chat widget or with a help docs. And I know that when you're first building software, the last thing you're thinking about is help docs. But something, even if it's only an email, you know, even if your onboarding uh, in air quotes is literally just an image overlay pointing to if you genuinely do have soft uh, software that's easy to use that literally just needs you to click a button up here to create your whatever it is even just an image overlay you know with the stereotypical arrow pointing up saying hey this is where you get started is better than just dropping people right into your software and saying goodbye and that happens so often so often um i know that onboarding is always an afterthought uh, I'm sure Benedict as well has huge amounts of experience in this now that the whole customer onboarding is is fundamental to the success of any any SaaS, any software. So just dumping them in there is 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 a terrible idea <laughs> and happens more often than you would think. Um, and another one as well, another simple one is, and I think this is literally just due to a lack of a lack of knowledge and just trying to get things done regardless. Is uh, is layout and consistency. Um, you know, as a as a an indie builder or an indie developer, we might want one a function on one page to do this, and a function on another page to do this. And all we care about is that that function works and exists and allows the user to do X. And we don't really care how that ties up with the rest of the site, the rest of the app. You know, as long as it, it works. That's good enough. But unfortunately, it's not because, you know, as I said, if we come into a, a piece of software, A, there's no onboarding or no indications to how it works. So already I have to learn how the system works. So if I learn, say, the basic navigational elements on this page or how I need to interact with something on this page, and then I need to go to a, 
a, def a different page and all of a sudden you change everything on me, then I have to learn yet again how this works and how this interaction works. And then if I go to another page or another function, and that happens as well, uh, more than it should. I mean, really, more than it should. Uh, <laughs> and so it's basically just consistency. It's basically just a lack of um, working to a system. And I, and I know that developers like to build everything from scratch, but sometimes a template can do so much for you, you know, and even if it's just a design template, having that consistent layout and functionality, or sorry, not functionality, but having that, that consistent navigation and interaction between elements, it can be, can be huge, you know, don't, okay, so you're not going to build everything from scratch, but you're going to make it easier for your user. And what would you rather, you know, build everything from scratch and be able to give yourself a pat on the back or, or have something that people, you know, can use and, and, and don't have to relearn every time they click on something. You know, moving elements around as well with having an element here on one page and then clicking through to another and the element has moved because I've needed to add another element here. You know, those things are just, uh, you see all the time and they're just big, big no-nos. So I think the sign-up, the onboarding, dropping people in with no help whatsoever and consistency are the three sort of overarching one sort of problem areas that you see in so many, so many SaaS, so many SaaS. I think in that latest one, um, I guess Twitter changed their following follower or follow following um, color on their button because all of their action buttons, the main action was solid color and then the other ones were mm -hmm. outlined. But for the follow, follow following, it was the other way around. If you choose to decide that to follow is the main action. So they changed that so that now it's black when you're not following and then outlined when you are following. And I remember there was like a big outcry on Twitter because people were so confused if you've been using it for a while. Uh, but I think it took about 24 hours and people were down with it because it actually, I think, enforced <laughs> their consistency. But all of us had learned, you know, the inconsistent way. Um, but then it took. I remember there being like lo loads of tweets, but there haven't been any complaints after the 24 um, first hours. So I'm guessing they actually, you know, changed to the better um, or more to the more consistent way of doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, inconsistency just means you have to learn and relearn. So, yeah. but again, that's interesting as well, though, because any change you make to your, if you have any sort of significant number of customers, any change you make to UX, uh, is always going to result in people speaking out, regardless of whether it's a better or worse. Like, like the Twitter example is great. You know, everyone was like, "No, you can't." Twitter's sacred, but then twenty four hours later, everyone shuts up and it's like, "Oh, okay." It's, you know. um, so, regardless of whether it's for the better or the worse, changes like you know, changes within software are always going to be. They're always going to be people who are upset because maybe it took them, maybe it took them so long to learn how to use the initial version. They're making it simpler now. It's like, no, damn, no, I'm invested. But, uh, I'm a power uh, user now. Don't make it easy for everyone else. <laughs> Another example completely, I, I, completely. I remember was somebody said, I think it was Best Buy or one of these like e-commerce, they spent six months changing the color of their yellow because they tried to do it oh, and people yeah. got so annoyed. So they ended up just changing the shade um, <laughs> over a really long period of time and nobody complained. Um, because the power yellow, yellow is supposed to be the 
Yeah, yellow is supposed to be the, the, the color that represents cheap, isn't it? So it's like, <laughs> which is bizarre though, because, you know, you want, you want it to be associated with a cheap brand. Don't change it. This is where we buy things. <laughs> Best buy, keep it yellow, keep it cheap. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess, yeah, yeah, there's a certain philosophy behind that. Yes, I think it was one of those. And when it was done gradually, nobody, you know, the power users saw it every day or the people who, who were there a lot that would complain and then the other users would not complain. So for the people not seeing what is happening, we're going to be laughing because I have family showing up at my beautiful view behind me. <laughs> um, but they should go away. <laughs> go away. I have that with my with my dogs as well. Yeah. Every time I want to call or a meeting, the dogs come in and want to go out and scratch at the door. I go, sorry, one second. Yeah, I locked the house so they're not getting in. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably why they're behind you outside yes. screaming and banging banging at the window oh, they have another house they can go inside they're fine they're not gonna there's food there's shelter it's all good but yeah back to the ux um to the ux but sign up and on yeah. onboarding is so hard though because i feel like as a developer if you change something there a lot of things Changes because if you don't have all the information you need, you actually have to, you know, do a lot of checks in your you in the rest of your UX. Like, oh, I don't have this information. I need to show like an empty screen that is nicer. Or, I mean, not collecting information in the beginning might end up kind of rippling through the whole application because you might be expecting that information later on or in other parts of the UX. Oh, but yeah, but and like I said, I think it just depends how necessary that information is. Like, if it's critical uh, to providing a, a decent service straight from the bat, then I, I think it's okay. But there was a there were a series of tests uh, tests done, and th these were a few years ago now. I think it was two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen, um, and they were saying that you know for every extra field you add on a on a on a, on a form. You could see between a six to ten percent drop off. Now I don't know how accurate that data is anymore, but there is the you know there is obviously something behind that. In that obviously the longer you make a form, mm -hmm. the less likely someone is going to want to fill it out, and especially for the more personal details you add, as as in the phone number. I'm not giving you my phone <laughs> number, and if I am, it's going to be fake. Yeah. So. Um, but I think that information that you said that you know is going to be vital. That's what onboarding can be for as well. You know, if you think about, I hate to use LinkedIn as an example because I personally dislike LinkedIn quite, you know. Uh, but the whole thing about that giving people a nudge is like, hey, you know, you need to fill out your profile or, or we're missing this information or we need the phone number. You know, there are so many ways you can do that in, in onboarding afterwards um, that don't necessarily need to be done straight away. Um, so I think, and as well with onboarding, there are so many options and so many ways to do that now. Um, and the whole, you know, the, 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 sort of the melting together of the walkthrough and the onboarding thing now as well, it's, again, there are so many options and so many sort of solutions for it now, right, Benedict? You know, um, getting, getting customers to activate and to so many ways to do that. Um, again, a large part of that just depends on the product you are, you know, you're trying to... Um, Trying to sell, trying to get people hooked on. So, sorry, hooked is not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get people excited about it. Cool. 
Do you have more questions, Benedicta? If I were, I could talk, like, I want to talk, now I want to talk onboarding, but I guess that's, <laughs> I have such a hard time with onboarding. Onboarding, onboarding is, that is, now that is difficult. So you, you can, the whole sign up area and the sort of, um, the layer and the consistency, because all of those things are built on fundamental, uh, pre, sort of established design anyway, like, you know, so many of us want to innovate, we want to be groundbreakers and stuff, but I think that's for other areas, you know, leave that up to the, you know, the, uh, the people who are trying to build electric cars and go to Mars. Um, <laughs> for software, we don't want to have to relearn how to use a piece of software. Every time we go into a piece of software, we pretty much want to have an established layout. You know, we pretty much know that over on the left-hand sidebar, we're going to find primary navigation or maybe along the top uh, with the profile, even on the top right or on the bottom left and setting, you know, we're used to finding those things. So, it's almost a standardized system now, and I would all, I would suggest that you you know most people would be foolish to try and stray away from that because it just means relearning, confusing, adding you know complications. So, so all of those are the easy areas. The onboarding and the walkthrough, I think, is genuinely the difficult part of you know uh, getting people in to activate and getting people in to to be interested enough and to to give enough information and to be able to understand it. How, you know, uh, well enough how to use the system and also to be able to come back to it as well. One of the big things as well is that on many, when I say onboarding now, I'm trying to, I'm mixing together onboarding and walkthroughs. Many, many SaaS, when they do that now, they'll give you the option to cancel out, which I think most people do. Um, but then it disappears and goes away forever. And that's it. It's gone. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, I, I have a question. I, I need help. I, uh, and then it's gone forever, you know, so it's, if you're if you're giving somebody the option to jump out of something, give them the option to jump back in as well at some point, uh, and let them know where that's going to be. But yeah, onboarding I think is everything else is pretty much standardized. You know, it's you can you can read books like you know what the UX coming out in several months, I imagine, or whenever it's going to be. But the onboarding and the, and the walkthrough I think is where there is a lot of experimentation. Um, again, a lot of it is standardized, but there's a lot of experimentation with regards to what's going to work for your audience and, and for your product. Yeah, and I think it's one of those. Yeah, that's a. Go ahead. No, you're the one who just did this, so go ahead, Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, nothing too important. Uh, I guess the hard part. That's the hard part about like getting the onboarding right because it's very specific to your specific pro product. Like, yes, there are patterns, but you still have to adapt them to what whatever it is you're doing. And um, I also feel like it's, especially with like uh, those those flows when you just sign up where it tells you, hey, here's this button, here's that button. I mean, those, like, it's what a lot of people do, but they're not necessarily useful. Like just telling people that this is the save button. Yeah, obviously it says save on it. So it, it requires a lot of time and effort to get this right and be actually helpful and actually useful. Yeah. And I guess that's why it's a lot harder because you have to figure out what people are struggling with and providing them with proper help. Um, and that's very unique to, to your product. So there's no shortcut for that, I guess. Definitely. And, and I think a lot of that has, has to come from having that information as well and knowing and having a certain number of people in using the system and knowing, you know, where, like you said, where are they struggling? Uh, where is that sort of 
moment of, oh, wow, I finally get it, going to come from. Because obviously, if it's going to come from X, then you need to push your new user to X. Because if that's the quickest route to to understanding your, your software, then it has nothing to do with here is, where, here is where you save. Here is where you create a new profile. Here is... You know, if that doesn't help them move closer, then yeah, it's 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 irrelevant to uh, to any new customer. So yeah, it's yeah. you you need a certain amount of data as well. So it's kind of the chicken and the egg situation. You don't want to just drop your your people straight into the software, no matter how simple you think it is. But at the same time, um, and it's something you need to work towards as well because because you do need a certain amount of information. You do need to know what the those aha or wow moments are within your software. But at the same time. You're probably not going to know that straight off the bat, so it's going to be something that changes and evolves as your software uh, does and your customer base does as well. Slow and steady. Slow and steady. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it's always slow and steady. As long as you're steady, it's fine. As long as you're steady. But on a different topic, so you've been working through all of this, uh, these ideas, and you've been testing different things. And um, so, how does your typical week look like? Typical week. I'm struggling at the moment to try and fit everything in. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm writing the book. Um, I, the ideal is that it would be out in a, in a two to three months, probably three months. Um, off the back of that, I want to create a course as well, a full video course. All I that is still in the planning stages, shall we say? <laughs> then, uh, so I'm working on I'm working on the SaaS as well. That's kind of taking up a bit of time as well so i have i'm working with a product team who's actually a client of mine as well so that's great because it means i have uh people to fall back on and, and get feedback and help from and stuff and then there's client work as well and also i live in spain and i don't know if you know about summer holidays in spain but the kids here have two and a half months uh holiday for summer i think they do in sweden as well right two and a half months yeah we have uh, according to my yeah, we're actually we're actually from Norway, but holidaying in Sweden, and it's two oh, okay, it's okay. it's two months. So, two months, yeah. yeah. So two and a half months here, and that's to working around children for two and a half months. I mean, that's that's basically a trimester gone out the window. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah. So a typical week is trying to mix all that together and and try and be as productive as possible. Um, so yeah, and it can be tricky, especially in this heat, because I don't feel like doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> at all at all at all but you still at all. but you're still doing client work you say on top of the um the ids yeah yeah i'm still i'm still doing some client work um which is great obviously because self-funded bootstrapped self-funded you know whatever you want to call it uh so yeah the, the, the money's got to come from somewhere there and there are no customers there's there's nothing so yeah i'm still consulting still taking on ux clients um just ux now i'm not you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm not doing any UI or anything. So, which is great because, like I said, they're mainly mainly SaaS that come in with a certain amount of technical and UX debt, which is where I'm happiest. <laughs> it means I can just really throw the uh, the ideas and the, the wireframes around, and it seems to work out quite well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the idea, obviously, with any indie builder, indie whatever, is to phase things out as other things ramp up but it's it's so early in the stage of of my new software venture you have to be realistic it might not even pan out it might not go anywhere so yeah i can't i won't be deleting my social media accounts this time uh twitter is back uh that's the only one i'm really paying attention to really 
uh, I'm not going to be on TikTok. Uh, I'm not going to be on Instagram. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 Twitter or nothing, I'm afraid. Twitter or nothing. So, what's your Twitter handle for everyone so they can follow you now that you're you're out out of? It's back. the worst Twitter handle in the world. It's uh, it's Nathan J Powell UX. Uh, there aren't a lot of options anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> when, we, when you come back so late in the game, there are not a lot of options. Okay, I'm never going to do that. Sorry, was your previous handle taken? Uh, yeah, 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 and I can't even remember what it was, but it was a lot simpler than Nathan J. Powell UX. <laughs> <laughs> it was either that or Nathan J. Powell nineteen seventy six zero zero. I can see uh, when I stopped being an early adopter because I have at Ray many places R A A E, um, and then. I was late on Instagram. So it's like, but addicted dot, right? <laughs> like my full name. Oh, and yeah, I guess yeah. if I go on TikTok, I'm never going to get a, like I, there will be no I names was, left for me. I was, uh, so when I went off the grid, I kind of did go off the grid and didn't. I started a YouTube channel for mountain biking. And because my, the name of the channel was half in Spanish and half in English, I got the name everywhere, like on Instagram and YouTube and all those places. So It was great. Of course, nobody was searching for it because it was a mixture two mix of two languages. <laughs> But I had no problem getting the name. Oh, now we need to add the uh, mountain biking channel to the show notes, everyone. Oh no, no, that's 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 gone. That's gone the way of the dodo. So. It's gone. It's it's still there. It's still there. But I'm not doing anything with it. Oh, okay. So. But if we all want to see what you did uh, while you were gone from Twitter, that that's what happened. Yeah. yeah, there was a couple of thousand subscribers on there as well on YouTube. So. Oh, Maybe cool. I need to turn it into a UX channel. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's see them all unsubscribe. It's a pivot. It's a pivot. <laughs> But I guess pivot you ever see. Yeah, I guess that's it. Um, it's Ned Benedict. Sure. Since you were yeah yeah, um, and I guess we covered well other places people can find you before we uh, say goodbye. Yeah, so Twitter, that's the only social profile you will find me on. Uh, and then my website is developyourux.com. And via that, you can you can find everything uh, about the free mail course and the, the upcoming book and everything. I'll be updating that on the website. And Feature Flux is featureflux.com. Flux as in flux capacitor from Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Uh, so you can find out all about that on there. Okay. That's nice. where I am. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. See you around. I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't so good at in the end. <laughs> good to know that we can, uh, we, we can help with that.